All right, today we're in Colossians, still going through Colossians. We're in chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. And today we're going to talk about weird spirituality. Weird spirituality is what I call mysticism, uh, the New Age movement. You guys heard of that? Uh, the, some people call that the human potential quest. If you get really into it, that's what they call it. Uh, the magical soothsaying, spells and incantations, crystals, angels and demons, witches, etc. Anything that's not simple faith in Jesus, but also like has that spiritual kind of connotation to it, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so what we're going to see is that simple faith in Jesus is the way to go. Paul is warning us about things that will actually ruin your spiritual life. Uh, and how we stay safe from all these things uh, is that we cling to Jesus exclusively. It's just him and a real relationship with him. It's all that matters, okay? Last week, we talked about legalism, and that was the first pitfall that Paul said is going to ruin your spiritual life, and you got to avoid it. So, you know, we say do these things, and, and do we, you have to do these things, and you have to follow these rules in order to make you more spiritual. That's what legalism is, Okay? And that's wrong because all those things were a shadow. That's what we learned last week of the real thing. The real thing is Jesus. So you got to cling to him, not to your own performance to certain rules. We're not supposed to fall in love with shadows. We're supposed to fall in love with Jesus who's right there, right in front of us, right? So we're free from all those religious things because we have this real relationship with Jesus. But now we get into uh, the second pitfall that we need to avoid, which is weird spirituality or mysticism. And the different, this is different from legalism because this is all subjective. Okay, legalism is do these things and that'll make you spiritual. Not true. Uh, mysticism is like all like really subjective. It's like you need to kind of experience this or feel that. And it's all based on feelings to be really spiritual. And But again, Paul is, is teaching us over and over that you are complete in what? Jesus. You're complete in Jesus. You don't need anything else. And you don't need a fancy experience to prove that you are in Christ. Big news. Headline news right there. You do not need a big experience. That's actually a pitfall thinking that you have to experience something, thinking you have to feel something. That, that is a pitfall. Because your salvation is not based on experiences, and it's not based on feelings, it's based on faith. That's what all the Bible and all of our salvation is based on, faith. Not experiences, not feelings. You might not ever feel saved. It just might not happen. And that is perfectly fine. That is okay. Sometimes God does give nice, fuzzy feelings. And that's perfectly within his right to do. And sometimes that's wonderful. But that is not what salvation is or is based on. And we can't seek those things. Um, you are completely saved by faith in Jesus alone. You are complete in him. You don't need anything else besides his faithful love for you. That's what it's all about. His promises that he makes to you, 
That's what salvation's about. Not you making promises to God. Oh, God, I promise I'll go to church for the rest of my life and always believe in you. Your promises aren't what salvation is based on. His promises to you. That he's going to love you, forgive you, save you completely if you just look to him in faith. Believe his promises. So I would say his promises are like structures already formed. You you already have everything you need through Jesus. It is true. It is real. It is all finished. And all our daily growing is simply growing in understanding and walking in his promises. That's what it means to be a Christian. Am I going to walk in what he's already promised me? Am I going to believe what he has done for me? So with that as our introduction, let's read our text, Colossians chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. Who has the right to come into my life and say that I will not get the prize unless I have a certain experience? And Paul would say, nobody. Nobody has the right to come into your life and say, you need to experience this or feel this in order to be saved. And he says here, let no one cheat you of your reward. Let's break this down. What does that mean? There is a reward at stake here. And if you fall down this pit, you are going to miss out on the reward. So there's these false teachers that are so wrong, they're actually going to take what could have been yours and cheat you out of it. They're going to swindle you out of it, rip off, deceive. They're going to hustle you by their false claims. Speaking of swindling, what do you call a Mongol leader who swindles people out of their hard-earned cash? Genghis Khan man. Right? It's very true. I know you love them every week, Beth. I do them just for you now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So what's this reward that you're going to be cheated out of if you get into weird mysticism and weird spirituality? Well... If you just look back in, in Colossians chapter 127, it said, God willed to make known to, the, to uh, what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the treasure. That's the prize. A life of perfect love and unity with God. That's what being a Christian offers us. That's our reward. We get Jesus, all of him a true and real intimacy with God, the absolute experience of real love, total peace, and perfect joy on a completely more different and more real level than just feeling. I did not say any of the reward was based on feeling. 
okay? Joy actually isn't just a feeling. It's something that wells up deeper than that. Peace, more than a feeling. There's a song about that. More than a feeling. And this is what we deal with in church and with theology is truth. Truth is deeper than feeling. You might feel unimportant, but that's not the truth. God deeply values you, and you are an equal part of his kingdom and his family with any believer, any person that could be alive. God values you that much. You might not feel it, but it's true. You might feel like you're big stuff, like you're a hot shot. But again, not true. <laughs> Weird spirituality is always seeking that stuff, that reward, that peace, love, and all that, that God wants to give us from other spiritual sources besides Jesus himself. Okay? Uh, but it's funny because they never really obtain that truth that they're seeking. But anyone who clings to Jesus by faith has all this reward in all of its fullness. We just have it. Okay, so he says again, look back at our text, let no one treat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility. And that's what we're going to study now. And the worship of angels, intruding those things, which he's not seen and vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. This is so amazing what's going on here. We always talk about humility, right? I even got a poster right there. Humility. It's, it's kind of a big deal in the Bible. And, and it's, it's the highest and most important virtue. It's literally the one thing that God is looking for in all men in this planet. It's so that he can pour out his grace upon them because he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God wants us to get his grace. So he says the way is through humility. But weird spirituality has what's called false humility. In fact, this is crazy because that word false, if you, if you see in your Bible, there's, there's um, parentheses around that word. Do you see that? And that means that the, the translators added that word in to help it make sense to you. Because in context, it's just the word humility. Like the, the word actually written in Greek here is just humility. But by context, this is the only time in the whole Bible where the word humility is in a negative context. So he's not talking about real, authentic humility because God loves that. But weird spirituality gives you this false humility. And what does that mean? We'll, we'll talk about it. it. We are so humble, we are awesome at being humble. That's false humility. The moment you think you're good at it, you've lost it. I am so humble. Right? You just lost it. You're not humble if you say that. And, and so we need the Spirit to guide us and, and, and to teach us. Or No, sorry. What am I trying to say? We are so humble, we're awesome at it. That's, that loses our, our uh, humility. And so what these people do, this mysticism, is, is they, they say, we need a Spirit to guide us. We need a vision to teach us. But not Jesus and not the Holy Spirit and not his word, we need to know secrets that other spirits will show us. And we need to know the universe and the, the will of the universe and these type of things, okay? And so what we see here is that humility ceases to be humility when you delight in your own humility. It becomes 
pride. And so Paul clearly states here that the basic problem with the false teachers that they were dealing with in Colossae was their egotistic fleshly minds. They professed humility, uh, but it was actually a cloak for their pride. And see down in the bottom, Paul says they had vainly puffed up by their fleshly mind. Do you see that part? So the idea in this context seems to be that the individual in question loves to talk on and on about spiritual experiences, but in reality, they're just jerks and prideful. Do you know what? Do you have you? Gosh, have you ever met somebody that talks a big game about being spiritual, but in reality, they are not full of love? They don't want to give one moment of their time to you. They, they just consider themselves important. And that's what happens with this whole new age thing. And so how can we tell? How can we tell if someone is, is, is this way? Well, it's easy because they're actually going to have no real control over their flesh. In other words, sinful behavior is actually going to be overflowing in their life. And you see this all the time with the crystals and the new age people and you really find out, like, how, where's the connection with flesh here? And it's all flesh. It's all selfish. It's all... I see it all the time. People claim to be super spiritual, metaphysical, are tremendously selfish, and have no problem with sin. Why do you think witches have a reputation for being evil? Because they are. Just listen to people, super spiritual people talk Listen to what's in the heart, because what's in the heart always comes out, and you're going to hear anger and bitterness and all the stuff that that is not the peace and love and joy that actually comes from Jesus. So again, our text says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Worship of angels. What does that mean? Yes, people used to worship angels all the time. Watch how easy it is. Ready? Hey, guys. Tonight, we have a very special guest with us this evening at church. I want you guys all to come out. We are going to have a real live angel joining us. Bring all your friends. Call the news. This is going to be truly amazing. All, all his wings, we're going to be able to touch his wings. We're going to, we're going to be able to talk to him and, and find out what this angel has to say. It's going to be truly amazing. If I replaced that word angel with Jesus, no one cares. And no one comes. Even though Jesus has promised that he's here with us whenever we gather, that he's with us and he'll never leave us, and he he's, wants to physically be with us. But yet our hearts seem to be like, ooh, angels, wow. And even if yours didn't, you know, angels were seen as this fancy go-between between God and men. And, and God is too big and important to care about you or for you to approach him. But again, that's false humility. It's disagreeing with God's word. Because he, he promises and Jesus says that he, he's done all that has, is necessary for us to have a real connection with God himself. And... Uh, and so he's provided a way for us to go straight to God without any go-between. And so these, you know, worship of angels is just silly. 
By the way, demons are simply angels that have fallen from doing God's will and serve Satan instead. And the Bible says one-third of all the angels that were created chose to go with Satan. And so when he says here, worship of angels, he doesn't just mean the good ones. It could be demons that people are worshiping. And, and some people seek out these demons to, to worship them. And, and yeah, that's going to go great for you. You know, an evil spirit isn't going to make your life better. And, but yet people some, sometimes think that, that, oh, this is exciting. I want to, you know, do my Ouija boards or do, you know, connect with these spirits. And it's just terrible, false false uh, spirituality. You know, it's this weird spirituality. And Paul says, it's a pit. Ray Stedman has an excellent description of what this verse is about. The key elements of this portion of Paul's writing were false humility and worship of angels. These are two invariable elements of false teaching in this context. So in Colossae, there was an ancient teaching called Gnosticism. Okay, everyone say Gnosticism. Great. Now you guys are vocabulary word for the day. And that uh, was a teaching that there was this hierarchy of angels and, and human beings and God, and it all had to be acknowledged, and you had to know about these angels. And, uh, and everyone began in ignorance and didn't know it until some secret person you know, taught you the secrets. And you came to their you know, Masonic temple lodge meeting and they would teach you the secrets of the oneness of the universe and all the plans that you had to know. And it's all just um, a mess. So this ancient term Gnosticism went through various changes, and today it exists today and is called the New Age Movement. It, happened, it exists today, same exact thing. And it's the people that seek true oneness with the universe and all things because all things were created you know, by God and, and all the matter has oneness with God, and it's this false idea. And what happens is it claims to move you beyond yourself in but in actual practice, um, when you examine it, you find out that it's all just focus on self. That's all it's doing. You're just thinking about yourself and looking inside yourself and trying to develop yourself and your self-powers. And so it's gone on even from New Age movement. Now they call it the human potential movement. And so the idea is that everything is there inside you. It's all you need. God is there. And all you have to do is bring it out and develop your possibilities and full potential. It's like the sign on the wall that says, the light you seek is in your own lantern. Have you heard that? So this teaching is that you already have everything you need inside you. You just got to discover it. Whitney Houston sang the theme song of this idea, which was, to love yourself is the greatest love there is. That's the theme song for the New Age movement or the human potential quest. So what's the danger of that? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us plainly uh, it's because it disqualifies you from the prize. That's what's wrong with it. What prize? The prize is a life with Jesus. Adopted and loved and peace and joy and daily fellowship and communion with God. Isn't that crazy? 
They're, they're seeking God, but by doing this weird spirituality, they're being disqualified from finding him. Because Jesus made it simple, and anyone who says it's complicated is selling you something else. Not Jesus. Again, our text says, intruding into th- those things which he has not seen. This is a reference to them always saying that they're seeing visions. Oh, I saw a vision. And visions are, are an important element in, in spiritism, Catholicism, Mormonism, and this other one I found out, Swedenborgianism. That's literally one that I found. <laughs> uh, don't know what that is. But there's these members of these inner circles that are so proud of their secret knowledge. And Paul is warning against these false teachers who had visions and made contact with angels through their visions. And in all of this, in, the, in doing this, they're bypassing the word of God and the spirit of God. And they're opening themselves up to all kinds of demonic activity because they're talking to Satan and Satan is a liar. So they're going to be tricked. They're going to be deceived. He's a master counterfeit person. And there's spirituality, real spirituality that's through Jesus. And then there's counterfeit spirituality, which is all the other weird stuff. And it's a, it's a counterfeit and it really tricks people. And if you're not certain about what the real thing looks like, you're going to fall for the counterfeit. First Timothy 4.1 says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Yep, demons are always trying to deceive people, even in church, even in church. Should we ever connect with them? Should we ever connect with them? No. Should we ever speak with them? And then obviously, should we ever worship them? No, okay? These are very simple things. In Revelation 19, look at, this is how, this is how, uh, this is a great description. Revelation 19.10, and I fell at his feet to worship him. So John, he sees this angel and he falls at his feet to worship him. But this is a good angel, and look what he says. He said to me, see that you do not do that, with an exclamation point. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means all real prophecy and spiritual stuff, it's just about Jesus. And if you're into anything else that's talking about crystals or spells or demons or any of that stuff, it's a deception. And anything that's, that involves worship needs to go straight to God through Jesus. That's what real worship is. So back to our text, our verse concludes, and it says, and what, what happens is they're not holding fast to the head. Who's the head of the church? Jesus. They're not holding fast from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. And that's the problem with all weird spirituality. It actually keeps us from holding fast to the head. Hugging Jesus is impossible when you're seeking another source of life and revelation. Jesus is our head, our source of life. That's what a head is to the body. The head is the source of life. All the thinking, all the direction, all the nerves, everything from the head. 
And that's why Jesus says, I am the head of the church, your life. Um, All we need is supplied from him and you are complete in him. So what does it look like when someone actually has a real spiritual experience? That's a good question. How would we know it if it's true? What signs can we look for? Because I'm not saying that all spiritual experiences are wrong. Because God certainly does blow our minds with stuff sometimes. And Jesus does show up sometimes. And the Holy Spirit does give an experience sometimes. So how do we know? What does it look like? Well, let's look at how Paul described his spiritual experience. Because Paul had a mind-blowing spiritual experience. Let's look. 2 Corinthians 12. It is... Doubtless not profitable for me to boast. So there's the first lesson about all true, real spiritual experiences. You shouldn't brag about it. You should not brag about it. And do you see the difference already between that and and weird spirituality? You know, dancing with your chakra and your... It's like, look at me. I've figured it out. I have this secret knowledge that I can share with you. And Paul says, it's so dumb for me to brag because I'm an idiot. And it wasn't because I was awesome or I figured stuff out that God gave me a real spiritual experience. So right at the beginning, we're diverging from pride and selfishness. We're going towards humility and faith. So he's not boasting, he's not proud, he's not special. He says, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. So he's like, I'll, I'll tell you about it. I, I know a man in Christ, he's talking about himself, who 14 years ago, whether in the body, or I don't know, or maybe he's out of the body, I do not know, God knows. So Paul, he's not claiming any special knowledge. He's not even sure how it all happened. He's like, I really don't understand. And it wasn't because I had this crystal around my neck, and it wasn't because I, had, I was going to this church, and I knew magic words, and I know the way. See the different paths? It's easy, guys, to tell the difference between weird spirituality and really following Jesus. Humility is always going to happen, okay? So no special knowledge. Then he says, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So Paul's saying he actually visited heaven. Now, some people say this is when Paul was stoned to death and literally died because that happened in the book of Acts. We read that Paul was, you know, the people were all mad at him for telling him about Jesus. So they took him out and hit him with stones until he died. And then a few hours later, he got up and walked back into town to tell him about Jesus again. And they're like, we can't kill this guy. Okay. So they think maybe that's when this happened. So he may have actually died. And then God sent him back and said, nope, get a good die again. <laughs> I'm not done with you yet. So he says, I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So he's not about revealing the fun stuff of heaven. That's what Paul's not doing. He's not saying, oh, wait till you see the streets of gold. Ah, wait till you see the roller coasters in heaven. This, but... But there's a weight to what Paul is saying, that he's saying there's a weight of glory that's serious and amazing. And if I even tried to tell you, I would be doing it such a disservice that it's illegal for me to use these words that I know to explain the amazingness of what I saw. If I even tried to tell you, 
I would be convicted of being a false witness because I, I'm not explaining it good enough. That's, that's something that's real. And that's what real spiritual revelation is. It's so good and so real and so heavy that words, it's not going to, you're not going to write a book and say, this is what it's about. Because Paul says, that's just dumb. That's just illegal. It's, it's not the way it's going to work. It's too good for words to explain. Paul goes on, he says, of such a one, I will boast, yet not of myself. I will not boast of myself except in my infirmities. So he says, he will talk about Jesus. Of him, I will boast. That's the him he's talking about. The one who's so glorious that words can't even describe how amazing and kind and loving he is. That's the only one Paul is going to talk about. He is the only one that's going to be a center of attention. Paul says, I'm not going to talk about myself except how weak I am, except how much I need him, except how much he has helped me and how much he has saved me. Jesus is the star of the show with real spiritual uh, revelation, a real spiritual experience. It's all about Jesus. Paul says, I'm only going to boast in my infirmities. I didn't earn anything for myself. I didn't choose myself. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak with the truth. Paul says, the, the truth is that I'm just a man. I am not special. I am nothing special. I murdered Christians. I know it was not because I was good that God chose me. And Jesus gets all the credit and all the glory for saving an undeserving sinner. And if, if I get to see it, I'm simply going to tell people about him. If God chooses to reveal, if I really have a spiritual experience, then all I can do is say, you guys got to meet Jesus. Because he will blow your mind and rock your world. He says, but I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. Paul says, humility is so important that I can't even talk much more about this or I'm going to get too prideful. Or people are going to start thinking that I'm special. And that's not what this is about. Because Jesus will show himself to you, just like he showed himself to Paul, by the Holy Spirit as you read the Bible. And as you spend time with him, Paul does not want you to think that he is something special. He wants you to think you are just as special and that Jesus loves and values you just as much as he would love Paul. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. A real spiritual life 
is one that just trusts in God. Trust him, even when we're not able to see him. What evidence do I need more than Jesus giving his life on the cross? Even when you can't feel him, a real spiritual life is one that trusts him then. Even when it hurts, you give him that praise and say, God, you are good. And this must be for my good because Paul said it was a gift of a thorn in the flesh. And all his trials were gifts from the Lord. How crazy is that? A real spiritual life brings nothing to the table except weakness and brokenness, need and distress, stress and failure. That's what we bring to the table. But we go to the table nonetheless and commune with God through the sacrifice of Jesus. We lay down all our stuff at the table. And at that table, we eat his body, drink his blood. We believe and connect with Jesus. And Jesus, by his grace, gives us his very life, which is called the Holy Spirit. A spiritual life, a real spiritual life, not weird, but real. And we overflow with his life, his love and his joy and his peace, his everything. And we just brag on him and we hold on to the head, Paul says. We hold on to it, seeking him, clinging to him, delighting him. The church can never be right in its relation to the headship of Christ. If it's wrong, if we're not holding fast to him, if we think that it's because of our building or because of our programs or because of our strategy or personality or anything, that that's where spirituality comes from, then we are not holding fast to the head. And we must hold fast to the head, Paul says. That's a big warning that we got here. Who is the Lord of the church? Who redeemed it? Who has the right to control it and direct it and tell it what to do? These are all penetrating and very important questions for us to think about and to answer. The church is, is the very body of Christ. And if he's the head, he has the right to tell it where to go and what to do. Do your parts rebel against you? Does your hand every once in a while just slap you across the face and say, I'm not listening to you, head. Does your foot just say, I'm not working today? Sometimes. You know, I'm not talking about growing older or injuries. I'm talking about straight out rebellion. Our parts do what our head says. They obey. And as Jesus' body, that's, that's the, the role of the church as well. I'm going to read one last text to you. Not even going to comment on it. I'm just going to read it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation because it's so uh, clear and, and it's just great to understand. He says, Then we will no longer be like immature children or immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. 
Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church, and makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's the truth. Father, we come to you, and I just thank you that weird spirituality is so um, easy to diagnose and see when we are looking at you, when we're holding fast to you, when our hope and trust and and all our uh, faith is, is connected to you, Jesus. What you did on the cross when you died on the cross and offered your life as a sacrifice for us is the only source of true and real spiritual life. And that's what we put our hope in, our faith in. And Lord, we do not seek special experiences or feelings. And if you were to give them, Father, then praise you. And if you were to give us suffering, then praise you still. If you were to give us thorns in our flesh to keep us humble, we would accept that as well. Lord, we want nothing but to do your will because you did your Father's will when you died on the cross for us. And you've given us life. You've shared with us your heart. And and now we, we live with you and because of you and through you. Jesus, we love you because you first loved us. And when we were wicked and rebellious and when we were so full of sin that we couldn't even see or hear the truth, you penetrated all of that with your patient love, with your perfect sacrificial care for us. And Lord, that's why we focus on you and that's why we give you praise. And like Paul, Lord, uh, we want to hold fast to the head. We want to be one, one life with you, one body. We want to see that you um, do everything for us and you always care for us. And you lead us, guide us, and direct us. In Jesus' name, amen.